Coming up, the New York football giants have an award winner on their roster. As the trade deadline looms and injuries, wouldn't you know it, continue to pile up. We discuss what Joe Shane's approach should be at the deadline, if there are viable targets for them to pursue, and what it all means relative to the long-term prospects, but most importantly, a game against Seattle ahead of the bye week coming up in mere days. We break it down next. Yes, friends, it's OGP, the One Giant Podcast, where we are your hosts over here, Adam Marbert, breaking down the Brooklyn Nets, for better or worse, on the Locked On Nets podcast with my boy Doug Nori. And yonder there is the seasoned generational ticket holder, the healthy, wealthy, and wise, live from the West Coast, Mr. Andrew Makowitz. Just like you thought going into both uh, the NFL and the NBA seasons, you expected the Giants to be 6-1, and one, winning yep. all these awards, and you expected the Brooklyn Nets to look like their starting five is the worst efficiency of any starting five in the league. Like you, you had that pegged from the start, right? Yeah. Just the way I drew it up. I'll be honest with you too. Not a lot of cross. I mean, there is crossover listeners. I don't know. Like I'll gild the Lily a little bit here though. We like, we talked about the off season and saying like everyone just calmed down and they all just got back to neutral. I have, I have a, just a terrible sneaking suspicion that we were all duped, but we can talk about that over on the lockdown nets podcast. You should give that a listen. Uh, in the meantime, though, for the New York football Giants, for the positive vibes around the New York area, the Giants are 6-1. and one. And Daniel Jones, as I mentioned, we're going to tie – we'll be talking about this back on the back end here. But bottom line is, in a league where the QB talent is not always up to snuff this year, Daniel Jones went out, threw for over 200 yards, ran for over 100 yards, and was named the NFC Offensive Player of the Week. I think uh, deservedly so. I mean, we, we talked about it coming out of the game, his, his best performance, I, I think, of the season to, to date. And deserving now, I guess you get some sense of a little bit of recognition, right? A little bit of league recognition for what he's doing. Well, the, the funny thing is that like the national media still like is ha, has their corner, which they sit on, which is like Daniel Jones isn't good. Daniel Jones doesn't throw the ball. The Giants are protecting him at all costs. And it's like, OK, you know, Dan Orlovsky on ESPN is a perfect example. He's like they are winning almost in spite of Daniel Jones. He's like. They only threw one pass in the fourth quarter against the Jaguars, so clearly they're protecting him. And the other side of it is like, well, are we just going to omit the fact that he ran for 100 yards, he scored a touchdown, he led a drive, he bled the clock out, and he did all the right things. And then all of a sudden you see he wins NFC Player of the Week, and at least they're, they're, they're starting to understand that it's not all about sitting back in the pocket and throwing the ball 50 times. It's about leading your team to victories and making the smart plays when you're asked to do it. Yeah, I think so. And I think the problem is here too, and we're not going to do too much of this. Although when we get to Joe Shane and the trade deadline, it is a little bit of micro macro, but I, I, I think what's happening just from a national narrative level, and I can understand it on the one hand. And then if you're watching it day to day, it's, it's, it's like me, right? I came in saying there's a high benchmark of what I need to see Daniel Jones do week after week, after week, after week to feel like he is growing, like he is improving in the system and he can be, someone that can be the franchise quarterback. And over the course of the season, he keeps checking little boxes for me, right? Do I still have things I want to do? Of course I do. But from a national level, it feels like they are tied into this idea of what happens in the off season. 
What are you doing in next year, right? Are you messing up your chances for a top draft pick for a quarterback? And all those things can be discussed, but guess what? It doesn't matter right now. And when you see Daniel Jones win NFC Offensive Player of the Week, that's the affirmation of it doesn't matter what happens in week 19 after the season is completed uh, or after the postseason, right, for the New York football giants. It only matters what's going on in this year. And right now, Daniel Jones is being successful. So we'll leave that there for the moment, just because there's a lot of other uh, more pressing things to discuss, which includes, as we're seeing live over on YouTube, uh, all the, the questions are already loading up here around the injuries, the updates, and then what's going to happen for the New York football giants across the offensive line. Uh, Phyllis and Andy, especially on Evan Neal. Yeah, so uh, the three big injuries that happened against the Jaguars were obviously Evan Neal uh, was a big one. Uh, uh, he looks to, he looks like he has a knee sprain. It looks like a uh, grade two knee sprain, MCL, I believe. Um, you know, they're they're describing him as week to week. You know, with with the the way the schedule drops, it might not be too bad for him. Um, ben Bredesen, another offensive lineman, Adam sprained PCL, so different part of the knee. He's considered week to week, same as Evan Neal. And the real big injury was the Daniel Bellinger tight end fractured eye socket. It was such a freak play with the guy trying to punch the ball out and his hand just going through the face mask. Like I've never actually seen that before, which was, which is bizarre to me. Yeah. And I think we'll, we'll focus on the offensive line here to start in terms of what they're going to do, but just on the Daniel Bellinger piece from the injury standpoint, I saw comments coming out of that one in our YouTube feed. That was like that player should be kicked out of the league, blah, blah. Like it was, it was an, it was a total accidental play. Like it was a fluke, weird thing that happened. It looked in completely insane and we hope that he's going to be all right in the, in the long term but it was such an it was it was a weird incidental fluky play so i don't i didn't understand uh, why people were calling for the heads of someone it'd be like saying you know you trip over my foot passing me on the subway and, and you look back and go i might have to kill you anyway the point being on the offensive front here though and then we will get back to because i know you have a perspective when we get to joe shane and what you think he, we, we should be looking at here when it comes to the trade deadline um so Evan Neal, Bredesen, you'd think, well, let's see. We have one more game, then the bye week, so an opportunity to maybe get some health there, and Evan Neal could be back coming out of the bye week if they want to be cautious. And we've seen so far the Giants have been very overly cautious when it comes to injuries. But you also have Azudu who played in that game and held up. You have Tyree Phillips, who came out of absolutely nowhere and held up like and was serviceable on the offensive line. And then we have even more trickles of information. We're still waiting to see when it's going to be for Shane Lemieux and his timetable. But we also got the update that Nick Gates has been activated to the 53-man roster, which means that time clock starts to run on making a decision about him. But there's there's some chance here with the timing of the bye week that, that maybe for the first time the Giants could get lucky around some injury updates. Yeah, I mean, I mean, considering the bye weeks coming up, you, they talked about Evan Neal being week to week and, and Bredesen being week to week. You you hit that perfectly, Adam. Tyree Phillips, you know, filled in admirably, had a, had a relatively good Pro Football Focus score. Keep in mind that he's pretty young. Um, you know, he's only twenty five years old. He was a third round draft pick for the Baltimore Ravens. Another connection to the Baltimore Ravens or Buffalo Bills there. And by the way, reportedly, um, uh, Wink Martindale went and said like, Hey, I've, I've been around this guy. He's worth taking a shot on here. Yeah. I, I, you can see all the connections between Baltimore and Buffalo paying dividends for, for <laughs> yeah. the giants right now. Uh, when you think about the other pieces of the offensive side of the ball, you talked about Ben Bredesen, Joshua Zudu filled in admirably. 
But, you know, to everyone's point, Nick Gates is officially going to be elevated to the 53-man roster. They had – today is the deadline to make a decision on whether they were going to put him on, you know, basically season-ending – the you know, physically unable to perform list or activate him to the roster. They are activating him. And I know, Adam, after seven surgeries, we feel the same way that, you know, everyone else does. You just hope that he's healthy enough to be able to contribute or just healthy enough to be able to walk and, and not sustain another injury – but with guys like Shane Lemieux coming back, with Nick Gates looking healthy, it doesn't necessarily feel like the Giants have to do anything knee-jerk reaction-wise like the Jets had to do with Brees Hall and, and trading for James Robinson. The Giants could probably stand pat on the offensive line front, play this game against Seattle, go into the bye week, and give yourself a little bit of breathing room to, to actually see what you have on that line. Yeah, I think you're fine to do that. And we know Feliciano has dealed with uh, dealt with some injuries as well here. Um, Andrew Thomas even had like, little concerning moments right around the ankles and in the places that he's had surgery before. But to your point, you know, going out and making a, a dramatic move, you could say now Azudu hasn't been perfect by any stretch. We know in run protection, he looks very, he looks very effective in pass protection. It's a mixed bag. And I think that that's saying at best, he's a mixed bag, but especially on the interior of the offensive line. If right now you're talking about, even with the injuries is, uh, excuse me, Bredesen, Feliciano and Glowinski, and now you say, well, Shane Lemieux is Zudu, Nick Gates, and just putting them into that mix there, you start to feel at least confident that, hey, we, we, can, we can rotate guys here and survive, not just through the short term and into the bye week, but the remainder of the season and feel pretty good about it. So that part of it I agree on. When we talk about then, this is interesting because it'll tie into now Joe Shane and what should or could be done at the trade deadline. Daniel Bellinger obviously was growing. Mike Kafka was speaking highly of him, getting involved in the passing game, get becoming more effective and consistent in the block protection as well. You look at this as a, a, a need for the New York football giants to go and do something because losing Daniel Bellinger in your mind could be, could prove to be very detrimental for the back end of the season. Yeah. So my opinion on this is to stand pat on the offensive line. They've clearly figured out a way to, to make it work so far. Azudu filled in admirably. We already talked about, about that at length. The Bellinger piece to me is really the, the critical piece where I think Joe Shane, if he's going to spend a couple of bucks or some draft capital, it's in the tight end position. One, because Bellinger was such a key part of this offense. I think he's 15th or 16th in all of the NFL in receiving yards for tight ends. He was Daniel Jones's security blanket. We obviously have uh, Chris Myrick. We, ha we have a couple of people. We just signed Andre Miller to the practice squad who was with us in camp and fractured his arm and, and, and got put on IR. There are some you know little internal moves that can be made. But, Adam, they, they really do, if they expect to make a long run, need to think about getting a veteran tight end into this room. You know, um, and, and as we know, tight ends probably come a little bit cheaper in terms of cap hit, as well as whatever assets you have to get, give over. I hear everyone saying the Giants want Jerry Judy. It's like, do you want the Giants to give up a second round pick to be able to get a wide receiver in the short term? Or do you want to fill in the hole that Bellinger's leaving and, and trade a sixth round pick and get a tight end into the room that can help the team contribute now? So let's see, yes, let's talk about that um, two phase here. I do want to touch on Judy there, but from the tight end perspective, so it's like, it's weird. On the one hand, you see how Daniel Bellinger is, was, was growing in value to this team, and you say that's why you need to go out and get somebody. The other side of it, now that obviously we're high on him coming out of the draft, but you look inside of it, we know, as you mentioned, Hudson, Myrick, they, they've combined for what? 11 catches for 72 yards. Oh, sorry, not even 11 catches. That's targets. Eight catches for 72 yards between the two of them. Now, 16 catches on 18 targets for a buck 52 
for Daniel Bellinger. I, the, the loss is obviously real. And also, I go back to the start of the season when it was one play, it's Daniel Bellinger. Next time, it's Myrick leaking out of the backfield. Then all of a sudden, Tanner Hudson catches a pass. I'm not saying that the upside or the value or the consistency of these other tight ends is going to come to where Daniel Bellinger was, but I feel like I have the reference point of the offense's system can use anybody. Now, the position becomes more valuable when it's Daniel Bellinger. And if that's your, like, if your, if your stance is, the, the tight end position is more critical to the offensive success overall, then I could understand going out and getting it. If it's that Daniel Bellinger specifically had become more important, then I'm kind of okay with it because you're getting Wandale back into the fold now, right? You're, you're going to see maybe it's Miller that comes up. He was looking like he was making that transition in the offseason. So I tend to lean on um, the effectiveness of the coaching staff has always been like, well, looks like you're my guy. Okay, going over this way. And we can see that evolution. And though I, I cannot put any stock in this, the glimmer of a shimmer of a shadow of a possibility that Kadarius Tony plays at some point, you're going to have other weapons and other ways to go about attacking. Yeah, I, I agree with that. You, we should get reinforcements in the wide receiver room. We don't know what Kenny Galladay is going to do. We don't know if he's going to play another snap for the Giants. But he is a possibility after he gets healthy. You mentioned Kadarius Tony. There are a few guys in the wide receiver room that the Giants can look two, three, four weeks out and say maybe they can contribute in some, some regard. In the tight end room, Adam, to your point, Daniel Bellinger was also good in the blocking game. Obviously, we want to continue to have Saquon Barkley keep going. But Chris Myrick and, and Tanner Hudson are not the wide receiving or, or no. pass catching threat no. that Bellinger is. And I think they do need that kind of dichotomy in the in the tight end room in order for Daniel Jones to continue to be successful because we're already down wide receivers. If we don't even have the ability to have a threat at the tight end position of catching the football, it feels like you're taking another weapon away from Daniel Jones in his bag of tricks. Oh, of course. Yeah, there's there's no two ways around that. Quick side note, and then I want to get back to um, the Jerry Judy piece and, and obviously Joe Shane and what he might do. I will just say, because we didn't, I don't even know if we actually like covered this because the when the timing of when it happened and when we were doing episodes, Ojolari has been placed on injured reserve with a calf ailment. And, you know, you go down the list here. We know he's second round draft pick, but a hamstring strain uh, suffered during the workouts and training camp that landed him on the reserve non-football injury list at the start of camp. And now we have this ailment keeping him out. I'll just say, remember, go back to when he was drafted. Injury is what had him fall. And the Giants felt like they went and got a steal. And then you watch what happened last season with him as a rookie. And it was definitely a steal. But now here we are, right? I mean, it just, even just short term, I'll stay, I'll stay short term. We'll worry about the big picture later. You're losing a key piece here on your defensive side of the ball. And the hard part about it is when you go inside the injuries for the New York football giants, we have to acknowledge that Ocean Eximenez has also been questionable here, that you had to bring up players from the practice squad this past week. So, you know, the waves keep coming here. I think it's critical now that Kayvon Thibodeau, Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, knock on wood, that they all stay healthy in the second half of this season. I don't think you can afford to lose a key piece like that again over the back half here. It's just, I know they've been winning games and Wink's been doing an excellent job, but at some point losing your top end talent, it does come home. Yeah. And, and the tough part is the giants are bottom third in the league in sacks. You know, uh, there's a couple teams behind them that had a buy last week. So that's why their numbers are a little lower too. The giants are not really getting as much pressure on the quarterback as the, as they no. have been in, in, in past years, you'd expect more pressure coming from Wink Martindale's blitzing scheme. 
it feels like that defense has kind of been holding on for dear life. It shows how important the defensive front has been for the Giants because Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence are basically doing everything in their power to manufacture pressure because we haven't really gotten anybody on the edge. Your point, Ojolari was out. Kayvon Thibodeau has been out. When Quincy Roche was in there, he wasn't getting as much pressure. O'Shane Ximenez has kind of had a couple different times where, where he showed flashes. But really, Adam, yeah, the, the defensive side of the ball, they haven't been able to get pressure. They're going to need to. I actually like the Ojolari move going to IR. Let's get him healthy. With yeah. the bye week coming up, you basically are finding a way to you know, get him extra rest without mm-hmm. him missing too many games. Let's get everybody healthy and see what we have after this. Yeah, and to your point, you know, I, I keep coming back to, and we'll see Kenneth Walker the third. We're going to see him in this upcoming weekend here with Seattle. I think that's why you've seen some of the struggles in the run defense for the New York Football Giants. To say nothing of what they've lost to the inside linebacker position, but you're asking the defensive front, Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, even Kayvon Thibodeau, right? You're asking them to do a lot of things to mitigate some of the areas of risk. I think what we're seeing is like it's coming at the suffering of can we get home as frequently as we'd like to? The beauty of it is they've been able to get home when it matters most in late game sequences when you need to shut down a potential comeback drive. The Jerry Judy piece then, I just want because you brought up his name and I know that's getting thrown out there now because obviously Denver's turned into a dumpster, as we all knew it would, as everyone who was drafting in their fantasy league like me and took Russell Wilson obviously knew and then got Jerry Judy because you always want to go ahead and stack your players. We knew it was going to go this way. I like to lose. That's why I, that's why I drafted them. But you brought up Jerry Judy, and the idea of DJ Moore was thrown out there, and it's a big cap number, and I think it's not as bad you know, next year and whatever, um, but it's going to cost a lot of draft capital. Multiple ones is what's being talked about there. When you hear about Jerry Judy and you hear about what the pick may cost you, I'm mildly intrigued about that. You know, I, I, I don't hate the idea of where the value falls, and it gets us into this conversation on Joe Shane and what he's going to look to potentially do here. I can consider that like a second round pick that we think that we, you know, we presume is going to be closer to a third rounder than to a top of the second round. I don't hate the idea of maybe taking a flyer on a guy who's shown the ability to be a number one receiver has had some ups and downs. And then maybe right now is just falling absolutely criminal at the hands of a veteran quarterback, like every other veteran quarterback in the league this year that just seems to have lost it or can't quite find the rhythm, whatever the case may be. Yeah, I mean, Jerry Judy is still 23 years old. You know, he's had a couple of different injuries. He's actually dropped a few balls this year, which is possibly why he's on the market. A lot of people are saying a more realistic uh, player from that team is KJ Hamler, who has a very similar skill set to guys like Wandale Robinson and Kadarius Tony, where it's, you know, they're short, quick, get out in space, vertical deep threat when when, when they get speed going. You know, how many do. Does Joe Shane and, and Brian Dable and Mike Kafka want to have all of the same types of players on this team, or do they want a bigger body wide receiver? It seems like Darius Slayton has kind of filled that role, you know, coming back, back from the depths of whether he was going to be on this roster. He's been able to contribute in that Kenny Galladay-ish type role that we, we thought KG was going to have from the start. 
Yeah, and, and even think about it, though, and you mentioned Hamler. And by the way, it's almost like it's like the sliding scale, right? Ah, do I want, I mean, like I said, I'd be willing to like have the conversation. But if you're talking about a second-round pick, and then you go, or Hamler for a fourth-round pick, right? Like, hey, there's there's a scale here that you go and you look at. But you mentioned about the positions. Remember, like as of right now, and it's almost like you can see it, as of right now, no Kenny Galladay, no Kadarius Tony. So, yeah, you have these smaller-ish, Richie James, Wandell Robinson. Okay, but you have David Sills, you have Marcus Johnson, you have Darius Slayton. Now, I'm not putting the label on any of one of these individual players outside of Wandale and saying, like, aha, you know, look what we have. But also, when you're looking at the market, I think it makes sense just to say, like, yeah, if I can get another shifty guy, that means that he enters into that fold. And I think you're always looking maybe to be pressing Richie James for reps here because I don't think this has ever been the designed role for him on this team, right? Likewise with a guy on the outside, David Sills, we didn't expect this. And if it takes some pressure off potentially and some – a defensive eyes off of Darius Slayton, maybe it helps you balance things out a little bit. So it's, it's as much about functionality in the system as it is about the, the player and the skill set itself. Yeah, I was looking at Pro Football Focus. They have some proposed trades. They said uh, Jerry Judy for a second and a fourth might be where, you know, where yeah. they're targeting, which, is, which feels like a lot for an in, 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 inconsistent player. They have about the same amount of trade asset and trade value for a guy like Chase Claypool as well of, of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Adam, I know you were really high on him coming out of Notre Dame. He's another guy. These just feel like the types of moves that the Giants just aren't going to make the big splash move. Like the way that Joe Shane has has kind of sat back and said, let's all take a deep breath and not make any of these knee-jerk reactions when someone gets injured or whether our record dictates what what we are. Doesn't it feel more like it's going to be a complimentary late-round pick to be able to shore up one of these, it's not going to be a marquee first round guy in the middle of the season. No. And again, unless, you know, unless you're Joe Shane and you look back, remember he was in the scouting departments, he was working, you know, looking at players. So if you can go back and you say, Hey, Chase Claypool, this was my grade on him. And if we're talking about getting him for X and Y, I I think that that would be a steal for us. Likewise for Jude or any of these players. If you think that great, the other problem is going to be where are they in their contracts, right? They're going to be coming up for deals and where do you want that timeline to look? We're seeing comments over on the live YouTube about going to the draft for that where wide receiver is usually a deep position. You can find the talent. I believe in that. And to your point, I also think, and I mentioned this before, Detroit Lions, Reynolds, wide receiver, a guy that nobody, you know, nobody really cares about. And you could probably throw a late round draft asset and say, this guy could come in and legitimately shore up a position without really creating a lot of chaos. Last year of his deal, you're not going to have to give up a lot. There's an opportunity there. That's what I think Joe Shane should be looking at is, hey, where, where do I make moves in the margins? Because remember, the Giants don't have a lot, of, a lot of cap space or a lot of assets to work with here. So they need to be prudent about how they approach it. Yeah, and, and when we think about the tight end room, we talk about different names. Obviously, you've heard in Miami, Mike Gusecki. Yeah, yeah. Is can someone... I go ahead and just spit on that real quick? W- like, what are they talking about? He wasn't a big part of it. Then over the last couple of weeks, he caught 14 balls. The t- Tua just got back on the field. They're like, you know what would be really good? Here you're competing for a division. Why don't you go ahead and, like, send your tight end? Like, I couldn't I, – sorry, I, could, I couldn't understand that. He's also on a one-year $10 million deal. So, like, uh, the Giants aren't going to be players for Mike Gusecki. But the, but the Dolphins, to your point, he's caught three touchdowns in the last few weeks. Like, he yeah. is a key contributor. So, I, that's why when people throw out these names, it, it doesn't really make any sense for the Dolphins or the Giants based on his contribution to the team and his cap space, you know, the cap space for the Giants. There's, there's other guys that I look at that are maybe a little bit more around the fringe, you know, I could see someone like Cole Kemet 
of the Chicago Bears. If they start falling out of contention, he's he was a a high draft pick, but really hasn't performed. Do they start selling off some of these pieces? Like, but but okay, but see, okay, and I don't I don't hate it because that's what you have to do. You got you got to live on the fringes and you got to look at teams that are bad. But like. Do I want the un now I want to bring in an unproven tight end? Like that's I think the problem here for the Giants and why we talk about Joe Shane just from a high level of like, what are you gonna go to try to do? We don't have a lot of money. We don't want to give up a lot of assets. We're gonna go after guys that are kind of falling off or guys in their last years of their contracts. Like you're gonna be limited in where you can look here. And I, I I'm not saying it might not be value there, but you know I, I I don't know. You have to give up something to get him, right? You have to give up something to get this tight end, and at that point. Is he exponentially better value inside the system than Tanner Hudson than Myrick? You know, and it's that's an honest question. It's not a it's not a declaration. Well, well, Kemet was very highly regarded, another yeah. Notre Dame product. He's caught for over a thousand yards. He has 12 catches on the year. He's you know, he was drafted by the old regime. GM yep. Ryan Poles has come it's in. Good. He's yep. like, this isn't my guy anymore. They may start selling for pennies on the dollar if the bears start faltering. He's yep. one of those names I think about the the you know. The Colts look like they're in a fire sale. It would be really hard to, to manipulate the, the cap, but Mo Ali Cox is another yeah. name. If you're going to move up the list a little bit, he's yeah. signed through next year with like a four and a half, five million dollar cap hit next season. If he looks like he's a guy that can contribute this year and next, maybe that's about as high as, like as, as they would go. Knowing that the Colts just drafted Jelani Woods out of Virginia, they have their tight end of the future. If they're in a fire sale, they're benching Matt Ryan. Maybe they get rid of someone like Moelle Cox. Yeah, he was a guy that because uh, he re-upped um, ahead of either this offseason or the previous offseason. He went back with the Colts. So he was a guy that I liked. I, I, he's a, a more athletic tight end, right? More of a pass-casting tight end. And to your point, and that's almost, I'll even double down on that. When we talk about, we love the, the mold of Daniel Bellinger. And we keep, we keep everyone makes these comparisons because the Giants have had these kind of guys. They're all different in their own right. But the, you know, the bosses of the world, some people go all the way back to Bavaro, right? The mentality, the build, the, the whole thing. Also, if you've got guys on there like a Myrick, who's, you know, more of a body and adding him onto the offensive line and trying to keep him in the block and stuff, and you're having a depleted wide receiver core, a little more athletic pass catching tight end might not be the worst thing to bring into the mix here. I would, yeah, Mo Ali Cox would make a lot of sense. I think it's tricky, again, when we talk about this cap room. This is what brings us to the global conversation here. It's like, what should Joe Shane be doing here when it comes to, um, the trade deadline, where they stand right now, and what it could look like if you risk something, quote-unquote, in going to make a move, or you don't. And do you see a suffering on the back end of it? We saw a team like the Dallas Cowboys. They went out and got Jonathan Hankins from the Raiders, teams that are ready to push the button. We saw, and this isn't about the division, but we saw Robinson go from Jacksonville to the Jets across the stadium. Like, they lost their star running back, rookie running back. They said... We got to go get somebody right now. We're not going to lose steam. Do you think that Joe Shane and the Giants have changed their perspective on this season and how it impacts what they do at the deadline? I think that any move that Joe Shane is going to make will also have a lens of next season in mind. I don't see him going out and making a move for a guy that's going to be on an expiring contract just to improve what we have this season. I think we, we talked about Denzel Mims as a guy potentially that could have been traded from, from the Jets to the yeah. Giants because he is under team control for next season. I pointed to Mo Ali Cox. He's he's a great run blocking tight end, you know, ranked sixth in the entire league in run blocking last year. He's signed through next season as well. 
any move that Joe Shane ha- is making has to be, let's take, you know, improve this team, but continue to build upon it for next season. It's not going to give up a future asset just to put a Band-Aid on something for this season that doesn't really help us long term. And let me, because you noted this here in our, we have our little sidebar conversation. We're running down notes. Mo Cox, one of the things I liked about him, I'm labeling him as being athletic and a pass catcher. But as you noted, uh, a blocking grade of 71.4 last season, ranked sixth at the tight end position. So you talk about a guy that can do both things and a guy that can help the offensive line if it's struggling at times. And a guy that can also be a safety valve for Daniel Jones. It's a really nice target if you can make the money work. To your point about Joe Shane and what they do here, like I, I, again, I don't think fundamentally anything has changed for Brian Dable and the coaching staff and, and more specifically for Joe Shane, right? Down on the field level, you want to win games. You want to be competitive. You want to be going for it when you're six and one. Also, with the cap restraints, with all of the, you're still going to see turnover on this roster as you get into the offseason. You still, even as Daniel Jones is having a great season for himself, you're still evaluating him, right? Regardless of how we feel about him, the season he's had, fans that hate me for how I talked about him coming into this year, you're still in the evaluation process with him. I don't think that seven games in and a 6-1 and one record in the first year of what is going to be not just a rebuilding process, this is a long tenure, right? Joe Shane doesn't plan on going anywhere. Neither does Brian Dable. So I don't think you can, you can really say, Ah, let's, we did it. We're, we're doing it. Let's go trade the draft capital, right? Let, let's go all in this year. Maybe win, win your first playoff game, get bounced out in the second round and find yourself pot committed on a lot of assets in terms of players and money and diminished on draft capital going to an offseason and say, oh, okay, let, let, let's, let's retool here. Let's figure it out. Some of what I think they get to do here is value the players that have been on this roster and continue to evaluate them and decide how they may spend their money. That's where I still think this team is. And within reason around injuries and otherwise, it's just about, hey, man, we're having one heck of a season. The coaching staff is doing it. Players are stepping up across the board. Let's see. Let's see how far this train can go. And if you ask me right now in this moment, this team, it's up to 93, I think, percent now to make the playoffs. I think that they're the playoff team. They're going to make the playoffs. And I think, hey, I, I give him a puncher's chance to go in there in, in a wild card scenario and win a game. I don't know what it means beyond that, but that, that's that's more than enough to hang my hat and not feel like I need to push my chips all in here if I'm Joe. Yeah, and keep in mind, you mentioned 93%. The way it shakes out right now, the projected team that they would play is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Giants would have a home game, potentially, or, or whatever, a road game against uh, Tampa Bay if, yeah. if they end up winning their division. But like Tampa Bay hasn't looked great. So when you think about the you know, the Giants, the Cowboys, and the Eagles looking like perennial, you know, playoff teams with how they've played so far this year, the Giants have the ability to win a playoff game when they get in and make some noise. But to your point, they are ahead of schedule. They shouldn't sell anything short for how they want to build this thing to be sustainable. And that's really what Joe Shane is looking at is how to sustain this, not just oh, will this give us a boost in week 12? It's how do we continue to get this roster better and better so we can compete for championships year in and year out.
Yep. So, I mean, again, and that's not diminishing a desire for them to do something here, right? Or to improve the roster if they think it's viable. But again, I just think you're going to have to be smart about it and you're going to have to be willing to take a little bit of a slow and steady approach. I was just quickly looking over too. the other, other note I'll make before we get out the door is that you have to also remember that there aren't necessarily as many teams as you might think that are totally out of it. And you, you mentioned about, well, where's the wild card standings currently look, right? Especially in the NFC. It's like even teams... Like, you know, the Carolina Panthers and Saints, you want to say at two and five, they're totally out of it. You would if it wasn't for the fact that Tampa Bay and Atlanta are three and four. So you're only you're only a game out of the division. That's what makes it tricky. The NFC West, nobody has gotten away from it. Seattle leads it at four and three right now. The only teams you look at and say it's probably over for is the Detroit Lions, or at least perceptually for themselves. The Detroit Lions, Carolina's probably going to fall off in spite of winning that game. Uh, this past weekend, and then maybe Chicago gets into that category. But like the Green Bay Packers, shy of trading Aaron Rodgers, which quietly I think they should be doing. But short of that, they're not going to give up on a season. Tampa Bay is not going to give up on their season with Tom Brady, right? So that's the hard part too, is looking at across the league and saying, how do we get competitive? How do we go improve this team? You, you have to convince other teams over this final week before the deadline of like one more loss, and you could go from three or four teams to eight teams that are willing to talk. Keep in mind, with the Cowboys continuing continuing to look good, the Eagles being undefeated and the Giants looking the way that they have, there aren't that many wildcard spots available for anybody else. So, like, the second you start falling down the pecking order, you could say, hey, let's try to make a run. But in order to do anything, you're not going to jump the Vikings if you're the Bears. You're not going to jump the Giants if yeah. you're the Bears when the Giants have the tiebreaker. So at some point, you have to be realistic about where your team is at, knowing that it's going to be such a fall, you know, uphill climb that the NFC East has has a stranglehold on the wild card spots right now. And 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 on that note, just NFC North, this one more week. If Minnesota wins this week, that that can be it, regardless of if you win or not, right? But if Minnesota loses and Green Bay and Chicago can find wins, some, you know, then all of a sudden you go, "Oh, we're only a game out now," and you get back into the division talk cuz to your point, that wild card is looking murky at best for all these teams, which by the way, like just a friendly reminder, man, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers if they win the division, great, but they're 3 and 4 right now. The, the LA Rams won the Super Bowl. They they're going to miss the playoffs. Like they started today, they missed the playoffs. San Francisco is three and four right now. They missed the playoffs. Like there are a lot of teams. Just when we talk about who's going to be there when it comes to playoff football, it's going to be mostly the NFC East. <laughs> it started today, and then we'll see how it goes from there. So um, we're going to get into tomorrow and Friday. Oh, go ahead, Andy. No, I was just going to say uh, I was going to close this out and say at the end of the day, Adam. What I think is important to note is the bye week is coming at a really good time for the Giants. This is a game that the Giants are underdogs in yet again, flying to the West Coast, playing Seattle. But it's coming at the right time to get some people healthy, take stock in exactly what the team has, and be able to make decisions moving forward from there. You know, the more I see this team, obviously the more that you love what you're seeing. And, you know, last thing I'll say is, remember that week one win on the road? against the Tennessee Titans, the five and two Tennessee Titans who are looking like they're back to being potentially the number one seed in the, in the AFC. Yeah. Yeah, You know, next to the, to the bills and and the chiefs, but I mean, five, five and two, those wins start to look better and better as the season goes on. It ages like a fine wine. This giants team is for real. And it's going to be interesting to see what Joe Shane does to be able to, to complement what they've got. 
and I, and I, and I hate to, and I hate to like, and I also hate to do it, but it's like, okay. And the Packers win isn't, it doesn't seem to be aging as beautifully as you might want it to be right. Like it's not a bouquet of flowers getting that win. And this is why we say though, it doesn't matter. Cause once you win the game, nobody comes back six weeks later and says, you know what? The team wasn't that good. We're going to make it a tie for you, right? The wins are the wins. The giants have won the games that they're supposed to. And now of course they've won games that no one expected coming e- into the season for them to do so. We'll turn our attention to Seattle coming up here. Obviously, it's a big matchup. Seattle having a good season, leading their division. Geno Smith, pro bowler, like we all knew he would be. Uh, We'll break it down. Obviously, thank you to everybody over on the YouTube live session. We're going to have offensive and defensive matchups tomorrow. Friday, obviously, we'll have Andy's bet of the week, which he hit on last week. So you're going to want to pay attention when BetStamp sponsors that episode and segment for us. We'll dive into it. Um, there's still there's still so much more here to discuss really around this roster and what it could look like, including, I'll, I'll leave you with this, very important that maybe in Daniel Jones' development, one of the best things for him in season in a new system could be a bye week where he gets to sit down with Mike Kafka, with Brian Dable, and go back and dissect his tape and figure out where he can improve, where they can expand the playbook. That could also be a big factor for the back half of this season. I always like to leave on a high note. Until next time, friends, get the podcast where we get those podcast needs fulfilled. And as Andrew Makowitz would want, need, and nay, demand the people know. As always, let's go Big Blue.